<laughs> that music only means one thing. It's the map. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the map, the mental health and addiction podcast. I'm Andy Bernstein. I am. And this weekly podcast is about open and honest discussions around mental health and addiction, which is an, obviously an important topic that currently affects one in five Americans. And uh, let's get right to it and meet our panel, uh, Chris Long, who's normally with us, is here in spirit. She might drop in, she might not, but um, but of course, Willie Drinkwater is here. Willie, who are you? Tell us who you are. Who am I and what am I doing here? All the existential questions, right? Um, That's right. Uh, I've, I've been in the field of mental health and addiction for, uh, for over 32 years now. Uh, I have a private practice up in Beverly. Actually, it's out of my home now because everything is teletherapy now. And then I'm also an educator for UMass Boston and the Addiction Counseling Education Program. And before the COVID, I would go out nationally to lecture on substance abuse and co-occurring disorders. So. And you've been in the field for how long? 32 years plus. So. And you're, you... Uh, you do a lot of um, work with a lot of different people up in the North Shore, but you're, uh, yeah. then, uh, as you said, you teach classes as well on the addiction certification. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my, my background was, you know, the uh, detoxes, and then I did a 15-year stint in my career of inpatient psych addiction. That's where I was like, you know, there's more to this drinking and drugging than just drinking and drugging. So Right. You really specialize a lot in co-occurring disorders. and Yes which is uh, mental health and the the addiction so there's two different uh dual diagnosis is the expectation and addiction not the exception trauma grief abandonment the big three the trifecta as i call it that, yeah that's right um, be anyone that's been in the detox 10 or 15 times and i'll show you somebody that has a mental health piece that hasn't been addressed there you go it's a, a it's a symptom the addiction is a symptom and not the cause yes all right. As for me, I've been in media for over 25 years and I um, created a show called Crosscheck Radio and I used to host with former hockey player Kevin Stevens, which was about addiction and uh, featured a lot of different guests trying to really do a great job in ending the stigma around addiction um, and, you know, having open, honest discussions. And of course, hope. And, uh, hope and, and hope. I have the Don't privilege risk. to be on the panel. So that's I, I right. That's right. Um, actually, I saw our cousin, our, our your niece yesterday, which we'll talk about later. But uh, ah, yes, um, we're gonna we're gonna meet our special guest Linda Mockner, um in a few. But before we start our conversation with Linda, uh, let's take a few minutes. I wanted to talk about what's going out there in the world of addiction with Chris and Willie. But Chris isn't here, but she'll be here. Soon in today's Washington Post, there's an article and it says that uh, after a one year drop in 2018, U.S. opioid overdose deaths increased again in 2019, topping 50,000 for the first time, according to the CDC, which accounted for the majority of the 71,000 fatal overdoses. The national data is not available for 2020. However, they're saying that this could be actually an all time high this year. Um, obviously because of the COVID. Um, and the, the article also makes a great point talking about Hunter Biden's struggle with addiction uh, was brief and, and there was no discussion about it and what their plans are to fight the opioid crisis during the recent debate. And so it looks like um, they may be taking the eye off their ball a little bit. Um, but then they were, what they were saying is 
Um, a lot of moms out there are doing GoFundMe pages so they can actually uh, have the money to bury their children who have overdosed. And, and they're saying some parents have even reserved a casket while their child is still alive. So they're prepared what they believe is the inevitable. So, um, so I, I, I throw this over to you, Willie. What are you seeing out there right now? Is this uh, yeah, an I'm, accurate I mean, portrayal? Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing an increase in, in everything. I mean, particularly up on the North Shore, Shore where I am, I'm, 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 I'm seeing a real rise in alcohol again. Yeah, I mean, alcohol is, you know, North Shore, affluent society, there's no alcoholics, they're just problem drinkers or those that can't hold their liquor. You know, and that's one of the predominant themes that have run over the years. It's, it's country club and yacht club time, you know, so it's like, no, it's just, you know, there's no alcoholics. But yeah, it's getting progressively worse. I mean, I'm seeing it and... You know, if if we get the a next round of stimulus checks out or, you know, on un, unemployment and stuff, people in early recovery in particular, that's a major setup because all of a sudden they have cash in their pocket. And it's like, hey, you know, maybe I'm not quite ready yet. And yeah, I mean, it's just a disaster. It's a major setup. Stuff. Um, but are you seeing uh, fentanyl, heroin? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it... I, I see that too and, and, and stuff. You know, it all depends how far up on the North Shore you go. You know, it's, you know, if you're in the coastal area, if you're in the real coastal areas in the, on the northern part of the North Shore, yeah, it's just rampant, you know, fen fentanyl and everything else. So meth so, is on the rise too. Meth that's what we were talking about. But I think it's important that we keep talking about it to let people know that, it, you know, this is increasing and it's, I'm not going away. And um, even if we don't talk about it, it's not going away. Chris Perry Long, also on the front lines. Hi, Chris. Who are you? Tell us who you are. Uh, Chris Perry Long. I am um, a family educator with Aware Recovery Care, which is an in-home addiction treatment program. It just opened up in Massachusetts, started in um, Connecticut. Uh, it's a 52-week program. Um, and what we do is we meet our clients where they live. So that could be a sober home, that could be um, on their own, with their family, whatever. we meet. Them Not at their home. house, but actually where they are. Where, they, where they live. We actually yeah. do, do like physical. Home visit. Uh, yep, yep. So what are you saying out, what are you seeing out there, my friend? Uh, a lot of alcohol. Um, you know, people are starting to kind of come out of their cocoons. Um, I, I don't think it's going to last because our numbers in Massachusetts are going up. And, yeah. you know, I think people are going to go back into fear, but um, they're starting to come out and they're starting to be required to go, you know, to work for a couple of days to check in in the office. And now they're having to deal with um, the fact that they can't take their, you know, rocks glass with them. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of alcohol still seeing the rips on facebook um they're going back up they're going the, back up oh uh, uh deaths let yes. me say um yeah. do you do you agree that uh you know there should have been some conversation the other night about um you know hunter biden as uh, talking about his addiction during debate do you feel like that should have been something that was an opportunity to really expand the discussion or do you feel like they don't even have a plan? I think that everybody is so guarded and so preoccupied that nobody wants to open Pandora's box. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't think if they open Pandora's box and they start that conversation, they're going to be able to be true to it because everybody's on attack. Everybody's looking for that. You know, uh, you didn't wear your mask in that event. And, you know, I think that it's just a mock and, I voted already. 
I went so to my did I. So did I. I went to my town hall the other day and I voted and I got it done with. And it's such a relief uh, to be done, to not have that hanging over my head, to not have to go into that environment where there are people. You don't know. You right? don't know. Right? I mean, it was just like, I highly recommend it. If you have the opportunity in your town, go and vote. It's like a, it's a, it's cathartic. It's good. Yeah. I went, I took that, that marker and I, Put it on a paper and I scribbled so hard. It was like, <laughs> I was like an aggression. I went Sunday. Yeah. I mean, was Sunday. it an aggression? Like, that anyway. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, so I just think, you know, like I said, I think it's important that we keep that up front and center because we still have a problem and it's not going away. And, um, you know, and like I said, the, the, uh, newspapers and you know the articles out there are saying that it is going to get worse so um so having said that um let's meet our guest today um we're gonna i'm gonna let willie do the honors can you introduce who our special linda guest Moutner, is? welcome in welcome in uh, the, the the big reason i wanted linda to come on too is i don't know if if uh andy and chris if you've been seeing those ads on tv it's uh it's an it's a it's a it's an army veteran, and he was talking about how how they were loading him up with op opiates for chronic pain. But now that he's discovered kratom, you know his life is happy, joyous, and free. And you know kratom kratom isn't you know this little innocent little innocent herb, which Linda will will elaborate on. But it actually it goes across three different classifications of drugs. It can be a depressant, it can be a stimulant, and in excess it can be a hallucinogen. It's not, okay, it's not it's not the innocent herb that it's made out out to be and with that i'm going to turn it over to linda because she has a, a foundation down there in florida and i'd like her to talk all about the story the story hello linda she's on mute oh she's on mute yeah but you should be on mute but she's on mute yeah there, there we go okay there now go. we can yeah there you go. you're all set hi everyone um thank you so much for having me on the, the show today yeah um and my son, Ian, I want to introduce him. Um, he was 20. My son took his life on Kratom by diving off of an overpass onto I-95, throwing his body over an overpass. I still can't wrap my head around that, you know? I mean, uh, his addiction to Kratom basically started in the summer of 2000 uh 11 and by 2014 he was gone so that's how quickly all of this happened and whipped through our lives and tore everything to shreds pretty much but um his addiction was starting out uh you know first of all i'm a person in long-term recovery for 26 years from alcohol addiction and my son knew that and he was super proud of me. I got sober for my son. And, um, you know, he, it was like, he started going to this Kava bar with his friends. He was super popular. He was a super smart young man in high school in a magnet program at Boca Community High in South Florida. And, he was going down on the avenue, walking there, having pizza and stuff like that. And they just decided one night to go into the Kava bar 
and they went in and it was cool because you know he was it was the ambiance was really set for like a younger group and it was um they gave you drinks in a coconut shell and my son wasn't a drug user he wasn't somebody seeking drugs for relief he was a really good um I shouldn't say good because, you know, people that use drugs are good, too. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, yeah. we're good people. People that abuse uh, or misuse substances, we're good people. Yeah, yeah. But it isn't about good or bad. It's about it's healthy or unhealthy. Healthy or, or unhealthy. Yeah. But he wasn't a person seeking relief from life, basically. He did have issues with some anxiety because he was getting to that age where he was approaching college. And there were a lot of things he, a lot of goals he had at that time to get, you know, they kind of push you towards the end of high school. So we had a lot of pressures and he went in there though to have fun. You know, he thought, well, this is legal. This is something they were telling him at the Kava bar. This is herbal. This will help you relax. It's not alcohol. It's not, you know, it's not drugs. This is like safe. It's an herbal substance. It's coming from the leaf of a tree. It's ground up. It's natural. It's something you can drink. It'll help you feel good. It'll help you feel relaxed. You're not going to like a, a bar to get drunk. And so with all of those things in mind, knowing about my history and about the fact that this ran on all sides of our family, he basically thought he was safe. And not only that, but he was he was in the public. He was at a place that, you know, was commercialized and he assumed that whatever was there was going to be safe for him to consume. And going there um, repeatedly, like he went back. His other friend, his friends tried it that night. Um, they said they vomited after, you know, some of them. But Ian kept kind of getting back in there. And a lot of that could have been, you know, a genetic like predisposition for this disease, like a setting up of it. But um, he was aware of the fact that um, he, that, that, that we had this in our family. Um, How did he, it affect? God, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, please. So how, how did it, what were the, so Kratom is, is um, obviously, as you mentioned, it's an over-the-counter, or you can buy it at like a 7-Eleven or right. different places. So it is a, um, a like, as you said, a legal drug, but, um, but, but, but what makes it, you know what? What's the dangers behind it? How does it? You know, chemically, what what does it do? Chris, so razor. You can't buy it. You used to be able to buy it. Willie, correct me if I'm wrong. You right. used to be able to buy it in all like the Seven Elevens and everything else. But if you remember, a few years ago, um, there was a Patriot player that was running around, and he was Chandler all, Jones. Yeah. Well, he yeah. bought it. He had he lived in town, and he bought it from the little mini mart that's. Uh, right next to Dairy Queen, and um, mm. it it had been banned, but like it wasn't enforced, and so I don't. I think it was one of those things like late breaking news. You're not allowed to sell it, so I think it's been banned. But you can buy it on Amazon, <laughs> right? Or yeah. nutrition stores sell it too, though, right? GNC. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that, but 
Okay, so from a chemical standpoint, what does it actually do? What did it do to Ian? How did it, uh, like, what was the... Um, Manifestation? Yeah, how did it, like, how did it trigger? How did it uh, respond to his uh, body or, or psyche, mental? Well, my, well, he basically got, um, in the beginning, we didn't really notice any changes too much. It was subtle. And then over a period of, I'd say from the summer of 2011, that would be the beginning of his senior year. He was going to turn 18, so he was going to be an adult. And he began to sort, he began to take Adderall. He wanted to get into some Adderall after in December of that year. And then come 2012, he started going to the Kava bar all the time, spending a lot of his money, most of his money that he earned, like cleaning pools for his dad. Um, he started, his behaviors changed in the way that they do with addiction. You know, I didn't want to see it at the time, but there was like sleeping in all the time, secretive um, behavior, not wanting to spend time with me, which he usually did. And he was anticipating, as I said, going off to college. So we had plans to like go and get stuff for his dorm. Like previously, he was super excited about all of that. And, you know, he worked really hard to, to get to that place. And now all of a sudden there was this lack of interest in going to college or going to buy the things for the dorm. And so I was having, I was finding myself having to go like make lists. Is this, is this okay? Is this what you think you might need? And, you know, he was just totally just disengaged with me about anything regarding that, regarding the future. Um, there was some stealing going on, just, you know, minor things. Like I noticed like some cash around the house would go missing and just some coins, you know, all my coins were like suddenly gone. And so there, I never paid much attention to it though, because I really thought, okay, you know, I too thought, well, everything he told me was, this was safe, you know? And being that it was sold publicly like that in a place where anybody could just walk in and get it. I, I just assumed everything was okay. But then when I noticed these behavior changes, I really thought he was involved with other drugs. I thought, okay. He's doing cocaine. Some of the behaviors were like rapid talking, rapid speech um, at times. Some was, uh, of his behaviors were like manic almost. Um, at other times, there would be a slower speech, sort of a nodding off that we were noticing. So by the time he was going to college that June, I was really freaked out. Right. <laughs> uh, I was like, something is really wrong. I was, I was not, you know, I had just had that feeling inside. I lost my son. I mean, because as a parent, when you start to know your son or daughter are addicted to drugs or anything, you, you begin to the grieving process, really. That's when the grieving starts because that person that you knew is no longer there. They're no longer present. Right. Now, they say, and I'll let you guys chime in on this. They're saying, um, so it's a very controversial, what my understanding is it's a controversial drug um, because there's people that are actually, um, from what I was reading, there are people who are actually uh, uh, 
find it okay to use or, or yeah, proponents are, of it yeah. yeah proponents of it yeah. and um marijuana world you know people are like pro marijuana and against marijuana right. but, but this has the same effects if i understand um of of heroin right or a lot of the same it, it, it's kind of a opioid type of effect it goes across three three different classifications. It can be a depressant stimulant or hallucinogen too. I mean, it's in excess. It, it can be a hallucinogen. So, what? How does that happen, Willie? How does how can it go for three different classifications? Like, how does yeah, that that's work? A, that's a good question. You know, like how does how can you be one or the other or all three? That that blows my mind. Yeah, I know. I know you usually don't think in those terms of a drug crossing over that many classifications, but. It's interesting, though, because um, there is a professor uh, studying this, Dr. Christopher McCurdy out of uh, University of Florida, and he is uh, finding the reason for those classifications. And he has a um, symposium on YouTube, which I found to be really interesting looking at that because he goes into the more you know, structural compounds involved in it and right, um, right. scientific data to back it up. But one of the, the points that he did bring out in his studies were that, um, was that he found that there were because it's unregulated Mm. it's able to be tampered with or adulterated with other substances Mm. and that is something that we found with With the the manufacturers or like vendors basically is what has happened in the u.s so so you had a product coming into the u.s that was basically not monitored and it could come in just through, I guess, through different countries in Asia or wherever. I don't, it's mostly Asia that this primarily comes out of is what we found. And it was coming in in packages labeled not for human consumption, similar to the bath salts and the spice yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it, if some of the adulteration was taking place over where it was coming from, because at that particular time, like in 2000, maybe eight to 2014, there were, um, there, there were those products, you know, the vast salts and the, you know, all that was happening. So it's hard to know, but now because it's such a hot topic, um, there's been a lot more control or pressure by the Kratom Association and yeah. the um, other organizations that are lobbying to protect Kratom that um, they pressured a lot of these vendors. Hey, man, you know, you got to stop. You got to stop with what you're doing because we're trying to protect this leaf, this true. Why? Leaf. Why? I mean... Like who's doing it? Who's what? Like what kind of companies are doing this? Are these pharma companies or are these? No, it's not pharma. It's not pharma. This is, but it is under. It falls under um, the guise of like the um, holistic natural products. So they can't do anything to regulate it because it's under. You know, the FDA is who I'm talking about. Can't really do anything because it's falling under supplement. 
supplement uh, it up. So they can't really do anything to control it. Although the DEA did step in and say, we are going to do something because they got recommendations from the FDA. This was late 2016, 17. And they tried to, um, they said they were going to ban it. And then there was like this huge political force that came forward, like, don't do that. And, you know, there was some discussion. I mean, apparently like Nancy Pelosi's son is, was part of that Kratom Association. And so it's, I found, I have found in this whole um, situation with my son and coming out publicly and speaking about the sort of Pandora's box, I opened it up and it was a well-kept secret. It seemed like um, ever since I, it's, I came out and started speaking about it, I've been told to like, shut up, you know, like shut my mouth, don't say anything, almost to the point of death threats and things like that. Um, By you? Uh, there's, you got a lot of drug dealers in suits, you know, basically that are backing this. This is a billion dollar a year industry. And so, um, you know, hey, I mean, if somebody wants to take a pop at somebody like me, you know, I'm like, hey, go ahead, because I've already lost the most precious thing in my life. You know, my son was everything to me. And so, you know, these guys, they, it, it put a, it put a hit, basically, it hurt them in their pocketbook, I guess, because we started talking about it. And other parents started, you know, coming towards me because I came on the news and you know, other parents saw what was out there on the internet. So I've got about 45 of us across the nation that work together to, try to do something to just to make a, to create awareness really about the product that it's not as, as safe as it's being touted to be. I, 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 I'm, I'm so perplexed about like why, <laughs> like where, you said it's a billion dollar industry. Are these, in, so these are just like manufacturers um, who are in suits, like you said, or, or drug dealers in suits. So these are really corporations. Are these the same people who are making, you know, uh, you know, uh, with marijuana, with cannabis? So this kind of falls under the same kind of groups. I don't. I know in the beginning, like back, you know, a few years back, there were just, you know, just anybody could sort of get into that industry. Um, and there were people that, you know, probably sold street drugs that could, you know, sell Kratom, um, get their hands on some Kratom to sell it and start producing it. Now, today you do have some legitimate, you know, businesses that sell it, I'm sure that are, you know, just from what I've you know, learned about, there are some people that sell the all natural Kratom leaf ground up. But even as it stands, if you watch like this symposium by Dr. McCurdy, he, he speaks about like, even in it's, it's all natural form, it has different components to it, depending on like, the age of the leaf and um, whether you're using like the oils from the leaf, the tincture, there's different strengths and different um, elements involved with Kratom, even in its pure form. 
But there are legitimate businesses and people out there who are, you know, like the tree huggers or those that sell, you know, that mm-hmm. oils that believe that this has a healing property about it. And but my my thing really isn't to bash, you know, um, like I really don't want to say I don't mean to bash people. <laughs> I really want to say that let's, you know, if this is a, a product that's going to be out there and there are people that are looking to this for um, some sort of relief from the opiate epidemic, then let's regulate this. You know, let's not make this something that can, can be sold to just any kid or anybody that just wants to go out there and get, find a natural high, so to speak. Like, let's, let's do something to make sure that whatever it is that's being sold is safe. It's got ingredients listed on it, the amounts of the ingredients that are in there, and the possible side effects, you know? Like, why, why is that so difficult to do? And, and, and maybe have some age restrictions on it. I was going to ask. So there's no, I, I guess, for all you guys, so there is no um, age restriction. Or, there's no age restriction or any kind of... Uh, uh, um, on it. There's, um, to my knowledge, there's different states. There's about six states that have banned it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something like, it just depends on what it's almost going by state to state county, even in counties, certain counties, like I believe San Diego County had a ban or an ordinance against Kratom. So you, you just, it just depends on what, how this sort of problem might have presented itself to a community, and then they might take some action against it. In the state of Florida, it, it from what I found, it sort of came in through the major part of it was into Florida in the beginning. And so, what got me interested in kratom, as far as my son's story, was that my son started coming to me and telling me, "Hey, mom, you know." We think at the Kava Bar, some of my friends, we think they're putting stuff in this drink. And I was like, well, of course they could put something in your drink. You're going to a place, you don't know what this is in this powder, you know? And he goes, well, we want you to have it tested. You're a nurse, you know? We want you to take it to a lab. Don't you know of some lab that you could have this tested? I'll bring some home. So he was beginning to worry in the beginning too about it. And, um, and I, I said, Ian, I, I don't know of any place. I'm an, an operating room nurse, you know, I don't know any labs at test things. So um, there was that. And then, you know, it's just uh, a lot of different things. Just there's a lot of things with Ian's story that uh, I just knew that, like, in particular, after he got addicted in 2013, we had to bring him home from FSU. And he um, he came home to live with me for a little bit. And then he just didn't do anything. He was just like hanging out. He said, you know, you're gonna have to get a job. And he was like, I'm not, you know, I'm trying to get a job. And I could tell he was just floundering. And then, you know, some money went missing. And I said, I, I kind of, I was tough. You know, I, I, I was tough on him. And I said, look, I can't, I love you, but I can't live with you watching you die right in front of my eyes because he was losing weight and and he started showing symptoms like meth it was like a meth addiction and I he was picking his face and very thin 
and this just wasn't my, you know, it wasn't a lot. Yeah. Was there a rehab, Linda? Excuse me. Was there any talk? Of yeah, there was, but it took, it took nine months for us to get him to a rehab. Um, in 2013 in January, I brought him home and he went to live with his dad because I basically told him, I just can't watch you kill yourself, Ian. You know, this is killing me. And he knew I was like crying and I was upset. And uh, so he said, well, I'll just go live with dad. And I said, okay, you know. So he went to live with his dad. And for nine months, he, he was out there. While he was there, I, I sought the help of an addiction therapist who basically helped me to line things up you know, get organized. If he wanted help, we had things in place. We started looking for treatment centers and detoxes. And we also started um, going over things like rules and boundaries and what that would mean for me. You know, I'm a person in recovery, but not, you know, codependent recovery. So right. this is a whole new area for me, but it helped me so much to sort of know the things to anticipate with having a child who was, you know, with suffering with substance use disorder. And so I, I got the tools I needed sort of in my bag and I was prepared so that when the time came for him, where he actually got caught, um, he was confronted about stealing, you know, his dad's wife's debit card and charging up about $850 in a week all to a Kava bar, um, that's that's the point that that was his bottom, so to speak, at that time. So we were able to say, you know, we're going to get you into a place. So when we took him to the detox, he tested positive for morphine and codone. That was his 12 panel. And three days later on the urinalysis, it was kratom. And there, you know, there again, like Ian and I were super close. That was one drug screen. The other one was um, a, three months later, he had relapsed. And that drug screen showed meth, amphetamines, and gabapentin. So, you know, um, I said to him, you know, after he came out of rehab, and now we're talking as a person in long-term recovery talking to a new person in you know early recovery and i'm talking and some in a, a mom and a son who are close who could talk to each other about anything basically and i said ian dude i go were you doing like how did that drug screen show up math were you doing math and he goes mom i swear to god i was just doing crap and i go but dude how did that happen you know and he's like mom he goes Okay, he goes, I've done, I did cocaine in college. And he goes over the whole list. I did, I tried Molly, I tried ecstasy. I smoked heroin once, I hated needles. So he goes over the whole thing with me. He goes, I never did meth in my whole life, mom. I swear to God. So it was like, okay, I felt, I felt like he's being honest. You know, he wasn't doing other drugs. And that's the big controversy I meet with the public on this issue because I get bashed by like Joe Rogan, and people like that, and I, there was a documentary, A Leap of Faith, where they totally bashed me, like I'm some nut job that, you know, my son was using other drugs and I just didn't see it. No, that's not the case. You know, I felt the truth was coming out with my son and I having this conversation. And otherwise, you know, why would a kid tell his mom all the drugs he used? I didn't know about the ecstasy and the molly, but there was no judgment, you know, there's no judgment on, on people that just 
are trying to find a way of life that really is worth it in the long run, you know? But the, one of the things I wanted to mention is that I did find out when we waited in that nine month period that there was the people that owned the Cava bar in our area had a warehouse in West Palm Beach and it was on Google and their warehouse blew up because they were manufacturing inside synthetic um, drugs. And and so that's when I began to go, whoa, you know, there's more going on here than, so there are other drugs, you know, so basically I began to realize my son's had somebody dabbling with his head, you know? It kind of reminds me of the story. Have you ever watched the the movie, The Pharmacist? No, I haven't. Yes. Yes. Because like all these lights are going off in your in your head about your son that you kind of presumed but had no evidence, and now it's like it's it's come to fruition, and, and sadly, you know, your son did lose his life. But yeah, it's and, and the pharmacist, he, his son also lost his life. But what he did was he just he was relentless, and um, I truly believe that the pharmacist is the one that first kind of really ignited the fire pharma and um, raising awareness. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit, um, you know, on that. But um, so I went and I, Mike, I sent you a link um, via email. um, And it's in Massachusetts, uh, Crotum is legal to buy um, and have in your state. But there you go, look at that. So the green is legal. The red is illegal in your state. The red dot is Kratom is banned in your city or county. And the purple is there's pending um, legislation on Kratom. So that's right there is, is that, that shows you where it is. Like, I didn't think it was in Massachusetts, but it is. Yeah. It's crazy. When, when Ian took his life, if I may get backtrack for a second, when he took his life, what, were there triggers like was there certain was there a certain incident or something that kind of um you know like a, you know what were kind of the uh, what was kind of the scenario le- leading up to it was he increased over uh increases use of great kratom or is it just um you know what were some of the triggers if you could speak yeah to I'll that? T- oh, he did have some triggers andy um he had been in a relationship with a young man that, you know, he really cared a lot about. And um, he told me about him and they had gotten together. And shortly after that, he had relapsed. And then, of course, you know, he, the guy wanted to go to California and, you know, my son sort of wanted to go and I was like, oh, don't go. You know, <laughs> I didn't want him to leave the area, but that uh, they broke up. And so that was super hard on him, I know. But so he stayed in relapse. And then, you know, sadly, he had just met another young man who I ended up speaking to after his death. Um, There's also a big, huge thing about me, like being a gay basher and all of this. Right, right. my older brother is gay and, you know, I have family members that are really close to me that and that's very accepted for me. I'm a nurse, you know, I don't, I'm not a judgmental person. If anybody that knows me um, would know that, you know, they would know that I'm 
I'm not like that. So my son was open with me about, you know, when he came out and everything and I wasn't judgmental, but um, this young man that he had just met, like, and they, they were supposed to get together the day he took his life, that young man, his life was changed and he ended up coming out to his parents, you know, after we talked and everything. I, I, and just after knowing Ian and how critical this was. So there were a lot of different factors that um, actually were triggers. Yes. Um, also, my son got, you know, he had to steal for this. He hadn't really didn't have a job. Um, so he that morning or he went to college, he was trying to get his life back together and through rehab twice. He was on a college campus rehab. So he was at FAU, he came home and he was living with his grandmother because of the relapse. I wasn't taking him back into my home because of the stealing. And I explained to him, you can go to treatment, we'll get you back in, you know, or you're going to have to figure this out, you know? And, and I know you can, I love you. And I know you can do this, you know, you'll figure this out. And so, um, he came home that day and his grandmother had found, you know, some checks were missing. The bank had called her. So there was about 1700 15 to $1,700 worth of money missing from her account. And she confronted him. I mean, we're talking about an 89 year old Swedish lady that really didn't know anything about addiction was handling this in her home, the way that any normal person who had just money lifted from them would have handled it. And so, you know, there was a discussion and apparently my son started to cry and said, Mimi, I can't live without this drug. And he got in, he grabbed his keys and he, she had his phone and he went out the door and said, I can't live like this anymore. And it was about a five minute drive to the top of the overpass from her house where he um, dove off of in Boynton. And, you know, he, it was a strange thing because he, he drove there, he got out of the car, he walked across the street to the southbound side of um, the south side of the southbound interstate. So no one would have seen him actually dive off and he removed his sandals and he dove, you know, in, into, onto the traffic. And it was at 3.05 that this happened. So that was basically rush hour. And I remember the medical examiner called me and, and I said, Oh my God, you know, just tell me like, was my son, this was a few days later. I said, was my son hit by other cars? And he said, Ms. Motner, he goes, that's the miracle of this whole thing is that not one car hit your son. And wow. he goes, yeah, he landed on his back. He said, you could have had an open casket. And I said, no, no, I don't want that. And he goes, it was just a miracle. It really was. And so, you know, after here, there were just like so many synchronicities like involved in this. And the fact that like 500 people, actually doctors, I worked with surgeons, <laughs> stood in line out in the hot sun in July and came to his memorial. There's so many things that just made me realize my son was like a modern day, almost like a messiah. <laughs> You know, right. I, 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 I got to do something with this. I, I can't just not do something. And, and my thing really isn't to, I think it's all turned into more of a spiritual journey for me. You know, I'm not, I've kind of gotten away from like really wanting to 
um, have resentment or, um, you know, go after Kratom. Like I, I'm in the beginning, I was like that. Yes. But I'm more like now I just want to save lives and I want to give people hope that yes, you know, if you lose your child, you can live through it. You can, and you have to, because you, you will make a difference by doing that. And if, you know, I, I just want to save lives and the way of saving lives, like I work with kids or younger people and just tell my story. You know, I take my story to the rooms and, and I tell my story and I have, I, I don't even know it, but like a few years later, like a kid will come towards me and go like somebody that I might've sponsored temporarily and say, you know, it was you that saved my life. And I go, it was God that saved your life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Acting as an agent. Agent, yeah. yeah you know, it's just been so cool because I don't like that's where I don't really like dealing in the Kratom issue anymore because if somebody wants to sell something that's not healthy for other people, you know, go ahead. You know what I mean? That like that's your business, but there is there is another force that is eventually going to catch up with you, you know, in darkness and things like that. So, so I want to like more or less live towards a light and, and towards hope. And I want to offer, I like living in a solution. I want to offer people a solution. I do not like to live in the problem. And that's where I felt like this Kratom thing was taking me just constantly living in the problem. So, so I like to more or less just live in the solution. Like, what do I do now? Like, what do I do as a mom every day? when I have to figure out what the new normal is. So what I do is I wake up and I meditate. So I started sharing that on a blog I have on Facebook with other parents. Like, this is what I do. I meditate. I use, you know, Melody Beatty's language of letting go. And, you know, and I send messages through pictures and art to parents so that they can hang on, so they can know this isn't the end. And to, to kids in early recovery, this is not the end. You know, here's the solution. This is what you do, you know? So um, I love that more. Chris, uh, you we got some comments, yeah? Yeah, so uh, uh, Heather Donahue from the North Shore, um, I know where she works. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to shout out where she works, but um, she said that um, it's coming in, they're seeing it in their detoxes, um, and that she also said that, you know, some meds can come up as... Um, some prescription meds can come up as um, meth. So, um, which we knew, but thank you, uh, Heather, for that. Yeah, um, but, I know, Heather. <laughs> I, yes, we do. Um, but, you know, so I think that, like, like um, meth, right? meth was very unrecognized. It was just that drug that... Um, people that were gay used and oh yeah it, it it used to make up less than four percent of the illegal drug use in massachusetts it's it's up around eight to ten percent now right and there was no treatment for it and there was no detox for it just like cocaine you couldn't go into a detox being addicted to cocaine because they didn't have they didn't have a detox for cocaine you had because to quote there wasn't a withdrawal so to speak right. but right. It's, bru it's a brutal withdrawal i mean you know it's yeah it's so I think that like this is, you know, I think that treatment centers and detoxes and stuff, they have to constantly be evolving. And I think that one of the biggest problems that we see um, is that they're not evolving, that they're stuck. And until there's a population, until there's a, a need 
for detox, for treatment, for understanding, um, you know, these, these, these incidents that, you know, people take in their lives um, is going to continue to happen until, you know, unfortunately, until somebody um, recognizes that. And I think that's where we need to, to really, to really integrate addiction and mental health is all the way at the detox uh, level, because, you know, it's, it, anyone that's doing a stimulant, you know, when, when you detox from a stimulant, you can keep going into a deeper and deeper depression for up to three months. The deeper the depression, the higher the risk of suicidality. So, I mean, you know, to say, well, you know, Coke isn't addictive. Well, yeah, no, it is addictive. You know, I mean, it definitely is. Right. And the, and the scary thing is, is that everybody's shooting everything. Um, I'll never forget, you know, the first person I started working with, you know, I always, cocaine was something that everybody sniffed or put underneath their, their lips. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, I'm shooting it. And I'm like, what? You know, it was, everybody shoots everything and they put it in a spoon and they'll do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. And, you know, we were going through in Massachusetts, there was this, they were calling it five and um, they were calling it five because people were coming in, um, had five different substances. Not one was bigger than the other, but they have these five different substances from heroin to um, fentanyl, to cocaine, to Adderall, like all these different drugs mixed in. Um, Detox protocols based on uh, CINA, CIWA, scaling ratings, hence we keep persons for 14 days plus on detox. So that's good. So Heather, we are recognizing um, these drugs now, some detoxes. I appreciate that comment. Thank you, Heather. Um, In our closing minutes, Linda, can you tell us about what you're doing today with the foundation? I know you're, uh, you know, you're doing it, but you're, um, you know, kind of, um, changing some stuff a little bit, but tell us about what you've done with the foundation and the fact that you've uh, made some donations and, um, well, um, Andy, part of what I was working towards with Ian's story is that as a registered nurse, um, you know, we go into practices and settings clinical settings where there needs to be a continuum of care. And so what you all had mentioned earlier about treatment and detoxes, it's just not enough. And there needs to also be a continuum after treatment is what I've seen as a, as a nurse. And um, with Ian's situation, getting out of treatment for the first time 30 days and then 60 days, that wasn't long enough where Ian's head still had the effects of, you know, his brain was still affected by these um, substances. And so there needed to be in place some sort of um, setting where Ian could go and have help to fill out a resume, to have some inspirational classes like yoga or support systems out there, like peer-to-peer support. And so that's what I decided to do with his foundation was basically set it up or or help um, in some way that we could help fund or build a recovery community center or organization where that would provide for these resources where parents can go and have peer-to-peer support for grief and loss, for how to um, navigate through their 
son or daughter's um, substance use disorder or misuse times. Um, and also for people in early recovery, for, for people coming in right off the street that they have a place they can go like 24 seven, that needs to be there. It has to be a component of all of this. It ha it's actually probably one of the more, most important components because you have to have support. And with any type of disease process, there's support, there's or cardiac, diabetes, anything. So it needs to be there for um, substance use disorder as well. So that's how you... you uh... We help to fund um, the hub in Palm Beach County, which is... Um, it's, it's a recovery community center. They're right now like doing a lot of structural changes inside and they are gonna be the areas, you know, recovery community organization that will help people in our community. Um, we have moms that work, that have lost children that work with the hub um, directly to help oversee that this also helps parents who've lost children or are trying to navigate like where to find an Al-Anon meeting or you know how to get some counseling for addiction therapy. Got it. Um, if, if, if somebody wants to get in touch with you what would be the best way to um, do that or not or don't talk to me don't call me but <laughs> call someone else call someone no i i'm pretty like i work as a nurse i work in the operating room and um if you're gonna reach out to me just don't bash me you know i mean i'm a person too and uh no I, for a positive on a positive note if somebody yeah. Had a question yeah. or the parent yeah, or Bob wanted to know. Chat to me through Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Linda Motner, M-A-U-T-N-E-R. And um, Ian Motner Foundation is, we're on Facebook. We're working on a website. I had a website up, but it's kind of, um, it's not doing so great right now. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we're out there. And, um, you know, we kind of work behind the scenes a lot. And I prefer it like well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, for so, thank you so much. And I wish you guys the best in all that you're doing. Thank you for all that you're doing to help in this, you know, really tragic and deadly disease. Well, we appreciate it. And, and this is a, a, a drug that um, needs to be brought into the light as well with all the other things out there. But this is something that's important. And also with it having some, you know, being legal, uh, or available, um, you know, this is something that we need to talk about as well. So, right. So thank, you. thank you. Well, the, Hey guys, that's our show for the week. How about that? Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. And, um, please, uh, like us on Facebook. Yep. Um, what's our Facebook address, Chris? The... Map. Map. 2020. 2020. And and this is our 50th show of the map. How old you are, Andy? 50? <laughs> All right. And on that note, <laughs> and on that note. Wish uh, I was 50. Okay. Uh, right. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. To, thank you, Willie. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Linda. Thanks to Mike Weber back at Mission Control and Fox World Cable Access Television. And, uh, 
who have been listening and watching The Map. We'll catch you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, you too. Thank you, Bye. 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 Bye.